Lord, I pray that the words that I give will come from you. I pray that the message will be the one you want me to convey and that it will be in the tone and the spirit that you want to apply. Um, thank you for this this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to do this. In Christ's name, amen. Do you remember the time you were in school, probably, it could have been at work, but in school, we'll say in school, that you were assigned to a group to do a group project. And you had to do this project together and turn it all in together and so on. And boy, I dreaded those. Because you knew what was going to happen. Not only did I dread them, my kids dreaded them. Not only that, but when I would assign it to students, they would just dread it. Because they all knew what was going to happen. That they would work, that I would work carefully, I would make sure everything was done well, I would make sure everything was done on time, I'd really, you know, try to do my best. And then you get together with your group and there's somebody who just didn't do the job. And you'd think, oh. You'd turn it in and maybe you got a good grade, but you all got the same grade, even though you had done a lot of work and the other person not so much. Boy, would that irritate me. That would just get my goat. Because I would think, this just isn't fair. There's not, it's not fair. All right. Today's parable, if we can have this, the scriptures up, is Matthew chapter 20. So, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and he found others, still others, standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, he said. They answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers together and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and now you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the heat of the day, the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the landowner answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I will give the one who was hired last the same as I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I grew up in a. My parents were devout followers of Christ, and uh, very fortunate. And but my mother. 
would say, she said, I just hate this story. They should just take it right out of the Bible. (laughs) I wish Jesus had never said that. That just doesn't belong. Now, only one person here knows whether my impersonation of my mother was on target. But, you know, but that's what, so as a 10-year-old boy, a 12-year-old boy, I'm thinking, whoa, a story in the Bible that my mother doesn't like? That's going to be a really juicy one. Now, maybe her attempt was to do that so that her 10 year, 12-year-old boy would actually read the Bible more. But if it, so, it worked. But I don't think that was her intent. I think it was just she found it really difficult. And I have to tell you, she was not the first or the last devoted follower of Christ to find this parable really challenging. Six weeks or so ago, we were having, we were with um, our daughter Allison and our son-in-law Rob, and and I said, yeah, the next series is going to be on the parables. And they said, well, which one are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do the one my mother hated. (laughs) Rob never met my mother, but he grew up in a Christian family of devoted followers of Christ. And he said, without missing a beat, oh, you're going to do the workers in the vineyard. (laughs) Because he knew the same thing I knew. This is a really challenging parable. But I want to persuade you, I hope I can persuade you, it is, in fact, really juicy. So here's the story. You get the story. It's not a... It's not a particularly difficult parable to understand, unlike some of them, where you have to really figure out what's going on. The recap is this. This landowner has a vineyard. He needs workers. He tells his foreman, go hire workers. They go out. When he hires the first workers, he says, you're going to get a denarius for the day's work. And he tells all the others, and then you go back time again. He tells all of them, I'll pay you what's right. Finally, at the end of the day, he pays them all the same amount, the denarius. Some of the workers were undoubtedly pleased by this, but the workers hired first were really unhappy. It really got their goat. They were just irritated that these people hired last got the same as they did. And it concludes, Jesus concludes the parable with the stinger that the last will be first and the first will be last a sentence, a phrase, a saying that he used multiple times um, in different places to illustrate that this is a kingdom parable. He starts off by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a kingdom parable, and he's telling us that God's kingdom, the values, the standards in God's kingdom may be completely different than ours. They may be upside down compared to ours. Or they may be backwards concerned to ours. That's what he's telling them. It's a kingdom parable. So when we read these parables, we often want to try to identify particular groups and say that refers to this group and that refers. And that's been done with this one for a long time. Um, for example, the first people hired could be identified as the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. The last people hired could be the everyday Jewish people in the riffraff that Jesus hung out with and brought into his and brought to his ministry. That's been an interpretation. An historical interpretation was 
that first, the first people hired were the Jews, the later people hired were the Gentiles. That's been an interpretation. Um, maybe you think of it as I th people who have followed Christ carefully for their whole lives and, and those who have not. The church leaders and the, the Johnny-come-latelys. So all of those sets of labors, and you can think about which one of those you would find yourself in, where you would think of yourself, all of it fits. And the reason it fits is because this parable speaks to something that is really fundamental and basic in all of us. That's the reason Jesus told parables. That's one of the reasons Jesus told parables. He could have given a doctrinal teaching just as easily. But a story draws you in. It makes you, it encourages you to identify with the situation, to maybe identify with the characters, to think about how you fit in this. It draws you in to speak to something different. And our reaction, when we, my reaction, when reading this parable is, well, this is not fair. This is just unfair. And, and you know, I mean, I don't know how old you were, but the first time you said to your parents, life isn't fair. I mean, you couldn't have been very old. That's because I wasn't very old. And, and I know what your parents said back, because that's what I said to my kids and what every parent to every kid has ever said ever since time. It, Adam probably said it to, to didn't say it to, um, anyway. <laughs> he wouldn't have said it to Cain and Abel. He might have said it to Seth and others uh, who came after that. But what did they say? Well, life isn't fair. Get used to it. Life isn't fair. And I know life isn't fair. You don't have to tell me life isn't fair. It's just that you don't have to reach up and slap me again and again and again and say life isn't fair. I know. I got the point. I got the point. Life isn't fair. We want a world that is fair and just. We want a world where things are set right. So was this parable telling us that God's kingdom will not be fair and just in the ways that we think it should be? Is that what it's telling us? Is that why it offends us? Is that why it challenges us? Why are those people who were hired first so unhappy? Well, let's start with the first question. So is the landowner being unjust to them? No. Not at all. He had, he had promised them a denarius for a day's work. That's a reasonable wage for a reasonable day's work. Um, that's an, he, they accepted that, and that's what he paid them. What was the complaint? Furthermore, and this is why you read the big reference books that Dan loans you, um, he paid them promptly. I didn't know this. This is from one of those. He paid them promptly at the end of the day. He was not required to do that. The rabbis um, encouraged the wealthier people to pay at the end of the day because these, those, these day laborers needed that money to buy their food to feed their family for the next day. And, but he wasn't required to pay them promptly. He could have said, I'll pay you at the end of the week. I'll pay you in two weeks. I'll pay you at the end of the month. You know, imagine that, getting paid once a month. Um, and, you know, he could have done that. Now, he would have been well within his rights to do that. But he paid them promptly at the end of the day, so they had the money to buy food for the next day. So, 
So the, so the landowner is being perfectly fair. There's nothing unfair about it. So the parable is not primarily about what's fair and what's unfair. It's got that in it, but it's not primarily about that. So is the parable about the landowner's generosity? If you think it is, and most people think it is, and it is, I mean, trust me, it is, then you would say, well, it's at least partly about, and mostly about, mainly about, perhaps, our salvation, and about our favor with God, and about that is entirely due to God's work and not our own. That is the doctrinal point. That is definitely true. That is definitely a completely true doctrinal statement. That our salvation, our justification, our being set right with God is entirely a work of God's generosity and not our own work. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, probably or maybe verses you know. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no one will boast. No one can boast. By grace alone, through faith alone, it's a parable about God's grace. But is it more than that? Is it a little juicier than that, perhaps? Well, first off, everyone did work. So it's not entirely about not, not by works, because everyone did work. Now, we assumed, we, it's not told this, but we're assuming that the people who were hired late in the day, they'd have been overjoyed at the payment they got. They got enough food to feed their family for another day or so. They'd have been overjoyed by that, but we're not told that. So we're assuming that, and it's probably true, because we're not told that because they're not directly the subject of the parable. It's not primarily about them. It wasn't the work that they did. It was the response to the call. So that's, a, that's what the parable is about, but it keeps going. Notice the instruction in verse 8. The instruction in verse 8 is this. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. Right? He's being fair. Beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Pay those last workers first and then go on to the ones hired early in the day. Well, this is backwards. This is backwards from the usual, usual process. Most of us, you know, the longer you work, the better the benefits are. Now, granted, they were, we're talking about a period of hours here, not months and years, but that's the way we usually think about things. If there are layoffs, it's the last hired, first fired. That's the way it works. That's, that's our world. But by doing it this way, and by Jesus telling the story this way, he makes a really important point. And I think that's the point we want to focus on. Suppose he, that he had told the story and that it had followed our normal practice, that, he had, that the workers who were hired first got paid first. 
what would have happened? They'd have gotten their denarius. They'd have been pleased. They did a good day's work for a good day's labor. They could go on their way, pay their family, and, and be happy. Um, then, the later workers, they'd have been surprised by the generosity, same as they were, but the impact would have been different. See, by telling the story this way, Jesus makes the contrast between the labors, between the landowner's generosity and those first workers' sense of injustice, an unjust treatment. Jesus is saying, God's kingdom is generous, but we're not always. See, their sense of it being unfair or unjust comes from something really deep. They're complaining about it being unfair. They're complaining about justice. But they're like all of us. What they're saying is, wait, that didn't benefit me. That benefited somebody else. That's unfair. See, if, if something happens to benefit me or where I get the advantage or where I get treated better, my first response is, well, I earned that. I earned that. Or maybe it was because it was lucky, but I say, well, it was lucky, but you know what? I've been unlucky a lot of times, so I earned it by, by being lucky this time. We only say it was unfair, for most of us, when someone else gets the benefit. See, we think of justice and fairness as about being ourselves, what benefits us and not what benefits somebody else. If somebody else gets the advantage or the benefit, we say, that's not fair. We're much more likely to say that. So in other words, we're using the complaint about something being unfair or unjust as a cover-up for an even deeper sin. The deeper sin is the sin of envy. Envy, the sense that you got something I deserved, or I didn't get as much as you did, or I should have gotten just a little bit more than someone else. Envy. Envy, you can think of it as entitlement, you can think of it as greed. They're all tied together. But somebody got something, and I should have gotten a little more. And it is so corrosive. Envy, entitlement, it just rots our soul. It limits our ability to experience joy. Because we're always thinking somebody else got something better and we missed out. It limits our experience to uh, our ability to experience satisfaction. See, we use the excuse that it was unjust, but unfair, but we can never use justice as the excuse to limit generosity and grace. And that's what we do a lot of times. 25 years ago, the Christian uh, journalist and editor and writer, Philip Yancey, wrote a book called 
What's so amazing about grace? I read the book at the time. I remember it well. I don't have it on my shelf at the moment. I don't know if I loaned it or, I don't know. It's not on my shelf. So I'm remembering, I'm telling you what I remember about the book. 25, but remember, 25 years ago. What's so amazing about grace? We talk about grace all the time. How many songs did we sing this morning that had grace in them? I mean, we should. We should. We should. We should. Don't get me wrong. We should. But sometimes we kind of forget just how amazing it really is. He said in the book, and I remember this thinking at the time, grace is a scandal. Some of the very worst people in the world have been forgiven by God. Saul dragged people out of their, dragged women and children out of their houses. And he was forgiven by God. You know, if grace isn't really kind of a scandal to us, maybe we're not thinking about grace enough. We're not thinking about it properly. And I remember he said in the introduction to the book, that the book came about because somebody asked him, and I don't remember who the person was, it might have been somebody famous, just somebody else. Somebody said to him, pose them a question. You Christians believe in grace. You talk about grace. You sing about grace. Then why are we so associated with intolerance and hate? And that's why he wrote the book, as I remember it. And I remember this part, too. I'm, I'm going to... He wanted to illustrate the importance of grace and what it really is, because we use the word rather freely. So he invented a new word, a word to show its opposite. He said, what is ungrace? What's the opposite of grace? I think all of us will find ourselves when we talk about grace, but maybe our actions or our attitudes don't show grace. I, uh, you're driving down the interstate, you see a sign by the side of the road, it says, construction right lane closed ahead, merge left. So you merge left, and you creep along in the traffic, and you're getting up to where the construction is, and here's this person zipping up in the, in the right lane with nobody in it, and they're going to merge at the very last minute. And my response is, no way, pal. You saw the same sign I did. That's on grace. On grace is... Well, let justice roll down like a river and righteous like an ever never like a never ending stream. That's grace. Justice like a river and righteousness like an ever never ending stream. That's from the book of Amos. Ungrace says, well, no. Um, a trickle is fine. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we're just we're getting a little bit. It'll take time. It'll take you know, just be patient. It'll take time. You know, eventually, 
the water will come, but, you know, it's not going to happen soon. Ungrace says, I can't associate with that person. People would think I approve of their lifestyle or their life choices. I can't do that. I can't, I can't befriend them. I can't be kind to them. I can't be loving to them because I don't approve of what they've done with their lives. That's on grace. Do you think God approved of what we did with our lives? On grace finds all kinds of excuses why you can't do the right thing. Ungrace, ungrace says, you know, I know my brother is putting his beloved wife of 53 years into a nursing home. And ungrace says, I just can't go and stay with him. I can't go and be with him. I have a hundred excuses for why I can't go there. Fortunately, I've been blessed by God with a wife, with family members, with friends, with pastors who all said to me, Phil, do the right thing. You know what the right thing is. Go do the right thing. See, I was ready to practice on grace. And I had a lot of excuses for why I would do it. But I'd have been wrong. In this parable, the landowner shows grace. The workers, the first workers hired, they are an illustration of ungrace. Our vision as a church is to demonstrate the presence of Jesus Christ to the the Snoqualmie Valley and beyond. We don't say that. We don't write it on pencils and put it on coffee cups and so on. But that's what we embody. And all you have to do is hear the announcements to recognize that. Right? And our values, and Dan said these a couple weeks ago, They haven't changed. We just haven't said them very often. Our values are be generous, be joyful, be just. This is what we want people to see we stand for. Generosity, joy, justice. And again, if you read the announcement, you look at the calendar, you see so many examples where we have done things that are just. Look at rest stop. That's trying to set the world right. Look at, we buy apples to help farmers in Africa. We do all kinds of things for Covenant World. We walk for water. You, you look at our announcements every week, and you would say, yeah, we stand for justice. How about joy? Hey, Danny will tell you, you know, people are singing now. People are experiencing joy. People are showing joy. 
And we're in a season now to talk about joy. But how about generosity? We usually think, and we've talked about it this morning, Dan talked about it some weeks ago. When we talk about generosity, we usually talk in terms of money. And that's appropriate. We should. But sometimes money is just a symptom. Our handling of money is a symptom. Because generosity is a spiritual spiritual state. Generosity is, says, I can use my money, my time, my skill set, my whatever, to the benefit of others. Stinginess is a, is a spiritual condition that finds excuses, that uses moral righteousness and, and, and self, self-righteousness to judge other people. Stinginess says we deserve a little more than somebody else. Generosity is, the, is a condition that helps to correct the corrosion that comes from envy, entitlement, and greed. Generosity leads us to justice and joy. In this parable, in this parable, I'd like to think, I don't know, but I don't think I'm being inappropriate. You know, those last people hired, they experienced joy. It's not in the parable, but I'm sure they did. The landowner would have, I'd like to think that the landowner would have had great joy in giving them the money. But those first people, the first people hired, their sense of injustice was going to rob anybody of joy. Their stinginess was going to make sure nobody got joy. Nobody enjoyed this. And they didn't enjoy it themselves. It's a kingdom parable. So what does this tell us about the kingdom of heaven? I think it's three things. First, no one will get less than we have been promised. Second, no one will be treated unfairly. And third, some of us, possibly me, possibly you, will get a lot more than we think we deserve. Let me pray. Lord, your grace towards me and your generosity towards me just is astonishing. It's almost like I I can't I just don't, when I think about it, when I dwell on it, I, I, I know it, if I could dance, I would dance. If I could sing, I would sing. It just overwhelms me with joy and gratitude. But too often I don't think about it. I think about what I've been owed, what I'm entitled to, how somebody else got more than I got. I think about how I, I, I don't mean to be un, 
I don't mean to show ungrace, but I can think of examples day by day by day where I showed ungrace. Lord, I pray that I can have a generosity of spirit the way you do, and that I can show that I can be a person of generosity and joy and justice. Amen.